Well, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the next installment of Facebook Live's Lunch Hour with Renault. It is good to be with all of you uh, who are joining us. And of course, we have Renault with us today. What's up, people? Great uh, to be with you today. Putting the lunch in lunch hour right That's now. That's right, baby. Bring it on. That's right. And uh, we have Andy with us today. Uh, this is Andy Blanchard. He Hi. runs Discovery Counseling and uh, has been a part of Mosaic for quite some time. And so uh, Andy's going to lend some of his expertise today. We're starting a new series, kind of coming off of our uh, series on spiritual disciplines. Uh, and it's, uh, we're going to take a couple of weeks to talk about the reality of the flesh. Um, because as important as it is for us to uh, invest in our spiritual lives, we also have to recognize that uh, we still struggle with many different things um, in this journey of life. And so we're going to talk about that over the next two weeks. Um, today, specifically, we're going to get into the conversation about mental health, and we're going to talk a bit about addictions as well. And so um, thanks for joining us. I know that uh, the subject matter is a bit on the uh, heavier side today in terms of the, the conversation, um, but I'm super grateful to have Andy with us today to lend his expertise to this discussion as a follower of Jesus who also, uh, you know, works in this field. So tell us a little bit, Andy, about your professional life and kind of what you do and what you bring to this conversation today. Sure. Thanks, Joel, and yeah. thanks, Renaud. It's a pleasure, pleasure to join you all here you. today. Um, uh, my name is Andy Blanchard. I've been uh, in private practice doing counseling uh, from a Christian perspective and from a Christian heart since 2002 in private practice, and before that I was doing ministry stuff. Um, but primarily I work a lot with... Um, couples with individuals that are going through spiritual development issues uh, and then all of the kind of generic um, uh, mental health issues that we deal with depression, anxiety, addictions, uh, relationship issues a lot, and, and that sort of thing. So yeah. happy to be here. And one of the things, you know, that um, Andy and I spend a fair amount of time uh, dialoguing about the journey of what discipleship looks like specifically in the arena of helping people deal with the uh, wounds, the, the pain, the shame, the struggles, the addictions, the very real realities of our biology and our mental health and our uh, physiology and how all that impacts. And we talk a lot about how to engage with that journey in a very holistic manner, not to narrow uh, the therapeutic journey to uh, either the typical therapies that work, but there may be more to, or to over-spiritualize or under-spiritualize things that ought not to be, but to really take a look at this thing very, very realistically. So it's been a joy to journey with Andy through all of that. We have and continue to, to uh, uh, journey together in a lot of those thought processes and dialogue with other people around the country that are thinking on these levels. And so uh, I'm very excited to be here today. And I, and I think this topic uh, that we're delving into and then we'll continue on a little bit is incredibly important, especially inside of the church because we do live on a planet of death, as I often say, and we do live in a body of death, which, which simply means that there's brokenness that is outside of our control, that is outside of our ability to simply uh, navigate. This world has sin in it and it has brokenness, our bodies do. And so when we talk about our bodies having brokenness, we're not just talking about the physical manifestations of those. We're also talking about how that brokenness can sometimes impact mental health, impact addiction, impact tendencies, lead to different things. And then once we're in those uh, cycles, how shame and fear can perpetuate those cycles. And then we at the church come at them with a 
just have faith, just believe, spiritual, the wrong kind of spirituality. Mm. And uh, it actually perpetuates a lot of these things. And so I'm very excited to talk about this because our heart is freedom. Uh, Christ came to set us free. But the way that we walk into freedom is not covering our wounds with spirituality, but dealing with our wounds by the power of Christ through invading those unredeemed spaces by the Spirit. So great to have you here, Andy. really is. It's going to be a great conversation. Before we jump into it, I just want to say hello to a few people that have joined us. Uh, We have Eddie with us all the way from Brazil. What's up, Eddie? Uh, Great to see you, buddy. We miss you, bro. Can't wait to see you. Hopefully you'll be visiting soon. Uh, We've got uh, Carol with us, Pam with us. Uh, Lulu, hey, hey. Uh, we've got uh, Leslie, Michelle, Natalie, a good crew of folks up, with guys? us already today. And I know others will be joining us as we get uh, into this conversation. Um, so it'll be a lot of fun. So mental health, um, it really, it's, it's become an overwhelming reality in our culture. Um, it's something that we have kind of come awake to as a culture, the, the realities of mental health and the, um, the damage that can cause in uh, in a society, in a family, in a life of an individual. And so how can we begin uh, to think about mental health issues as followers of Jesus? Like um, what, what, what should be in our uh, understanding? Mm-hmm. How should we wrap our mind around this reality? And Renaud, you did touch on that just a bit, but I'd love to hear Andy um, how, how do we frame that in our mind as followers of Jesus? Well, I think it's really, it, it's a very complicated issue, but boiling it down to some, some, some kind of overarching simplicities to kind of think about. <clears throat> we are involved in a relationship with a living God. And that relationship was born in a place of perfection. And now that we are out of the garden and we're living, as Renaud loves to say, on the planet of sin and death, that relationship has been affected by sin, just like all of our relationships have been affected by sin. And so where we see mental health issues show up mostly especially in church circles, is in the context of relationships. My relationship right. with you is not functioning the way it would. Right. It's, not spo- it's not supposed to function that way. I'm upset with you. You're upset with me. I don't want to confront you. You want to confront me. There's all kinds of stuff. And over time, those tendencies, those um, personality traits, whatever, continue to grow. And it's like, you know, it just, it just kind of gets into the point where it's dysfunctional is what we call it in mental health. Hmm. And that dysfunction is a product of sin. And so when we start looking at it, it's not like there's mental health over here and there's, uh, you know, Christianity and our relationship with God. No, they're very intertwined. They're very connected on all of those things. And so as we as Christians start looking at mental health issues, we have to see them in the context of relationship. We have to see them especially in the context of our relationship with God. And where that shows up is as we sit with the body of Christ, it works out between us. And so sometimes it's really difficult to have compassion with someone who's super annoying or super engaging or super whatever it's just too much for us or because it's activating some of our own stuff and so trying to figure out how do we how do we love people where they are how do we love people in the way that christ would love them well in mental health world that sometimes gets really challenging because their stuff keeps getting in the way of us having a meaningful relationship and so what usually works for me with everyone else doesn't work with you and so suddenly our our tendency in the church is to say well then you're the issue and so you need to go get help and sometimes there's truth to that Hmm. but the reality is is how do we care for people how do we love them well in the space where they're struggling with trauma or they're struggling with 
you know, relationship deficits, or they're just struggling because they just have never been in a family that's really loved them until they got adopted from somewhere else, and now they're stuck in this planet, and it's like, well, they're stuck over here, and it's like, I don't know what to do. It's so overwhelming. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I think as we have obviously in our context here at Mosaic um, had the privilege of engaging in a lot of uh, spaces where trauma has had an impact on people's lives. We've come to realize more and more the deep impact of trauma, both big T trauma, as we call it, mm -hmm. giant events like abuse or abandonment or things like that, and small T trauma, the regular things in life that are just hurtful, right. that are just difficult, whether ongoing or across the board. Across the board. Yeah. That has different impact on each of us. Right. And then depending on uh, you know, the, the ability that our body has to work in its connections to our brain, the chemical releases we need, the, the things that should function properly, just like in every arena our bodies don't, then that has impact. So things like depression or anxiety or, or things like the, uh, the mood swings that might be outside of what we would term the normal swing of like, a, of a like person. Like bipolar disorders. Like bi bipolar about? disorders or things mm -hmm. like that. Right. These things, I think that the trouble is that especially in the church, we equate these things because they're not physical manifestations. We equate them to something that that person, like it's a problem that person has that they've got to deal with that's, that's got to do with more with their, their belief, their faith, their trust, their things like that. But a lot of times it is actually when you feel depressed, for example, and, and you struggle with real depression, whether trauma invoked or physiological or biological, this is not something when, when dopamine in your body isn't being produced. I don't care how much faith you have. Happiness is going to be an impossible thing to attain in terms of that feeling. So we have to begin to understand in the church context that we are dealing with people, just like when you deal with me, with issues that are beyond their own capacity oftentimes. And so what we do is we make those things shameful mm. and then they're hidden. Uh, and so, oh, I take medication for depression, for example. Oh, goodness, don't tell the church that. Because so would it be fair to say then that we've over-spiritualized and over-simplified these issues and said, hey, if, if, you're, if you're struggling with mental health in any way, um, it is a, 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 a sin of yours that you're committing or some lack of faith in your life. Yes. And, and due to that, all you need is if to all, stop sinning. If all and you to do have is these faith. things, then it'll all be fine. And, and if it's not fine, you must not be, uh, you, you must not be making the choice to stop those things. And so, so the you're trouble saying is, you can be a devoted follower of Jesus and still and struggle, struggle with, with depression mental health. Or struggle, yeah, yeah with mm -hmm. any version of depression, uh, uh, with uh, mental health. And, and here's the thing, I think, we both over-spiritualize and under-spiritualize. And here's what I mean by that. We wrongly spiritualize. In other words, we say, the problem is this sin you've got to make a choice, or this uh, faith, or your, or your lack of faith, your lack mm -hmm. of trust. But it is all spiritual, insofar as what Andy said. Its root is still the brokenness that sin impacts both on the planet and on us. It's not so much the root is my personal act of sin. It's still sin, and the solution is still the freedom in Christ. We ignore that, and we make it about how you need to have faith, or you need to behave, or you need to think, instead of saying, it is a spiritual issue, as is every issue in our journey. It's intricately tied to our relationship with God, but it is still a practical issue in that it may be biological or physiological or, or emotional, and we have to deal with those spaces. Trauma does a tremendous amount of damage to our bodies, our minds, our hearts, and we can't just, again, bury it under Jesus. I hate the idea 
that when you come to know Jesus, there is this assumption, though not spoken, I think assumed in the church, that Jesus fixes everything. Uh, so therefore, if you have Jesus, everything must be then okay. And I'm like, Jesus gives us the power to invade all the unredeemed spaces in us. He doesn't cover them with his goodness, and then they're just not there anymore. Yeah. So a lot of Christians live in this dichotomy of I'm supposed to feel this way because mm -hmm. I'm a Christian now. That's what yeah. everybody says. Yeah. But I don't feel this way. I actually feel this way. So I need to hide this and pretend. And then it actually increases the space for, for whatever that mental health issue is to increase. And the enemy has us by the throat. Yeah. And we want to invade those spaces with a genuine um, and, and, and practical and active um, clarity on what it means to see healing. Because at that point, when you're already struggling with anxiety, you're already struggling with regulating how emotional you get at times, you're already struggling with feeling depressed and it's even difficult to get somewhere, now we're going to add on top of that, just like you were talking about, shame. shame. <laughs> and we all do it. It's not something that's like, oh, well, it's only these people that are doing it. No, we all have that expectation because we have that expectation of ourselves. Right. I expect that I'll be oh, I should be able to get back up. I had a cold a couple weeks ago, and it's like, why is this knocking me down for four days? I never get sick. That little internal narrative, play that with something that you can't manifest with a runny nose and a fever and all of that. And now, all of a sudden, you're starting to shame yourself. And when you're shaming someone else, we're shaming others just because it's what we do to ourselves. And so now we've created a culture where I'm struggling, and I can't even ask for help for people who love Jesus and might understand because they're going to tell me to pray more. And I have been praying more. It's just not working. What's wrong with me? And now I'm in this cycle. Yep. And the cycle continues to draw me out of community. It draws me away from the light. It draws me into the darkness. And it just, it, it just makes everything. It isolates. It, it isolates, isolates me. And it makes me worse. And it, uh, it's horrible. Yeah, it's a lot about what Kurt Thompson shared with the soul of shame mm -hmm. um, when he came and, and spoke on that, 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 that cycle. Um, isolates us away from one another. It isolates us away from God. And we see that in the Garden of Eden, right? Um, you know, they sin, they rebel against God, they blame each other, they blame God, they hide. Um, and that's, that's, uh, that's an unfortunate cycle that we find ourselves in. And, and, you know, if we're honest and we think about this, many of us have, um, you know, whether it's with ourselves or it's friends, family members, um, that mental health issues are affecting our lives. So what are, the, what are some of the ways that you see that effect play itself out um, with individuals, with families? I mean, you did talk about the relational connection, but what's, what, what, what is the, the typical or, or what are some results um, of people struggling with mental health um, and not having a way to get out of that cycle or to address that cycle or to, as Renault was saying, invade that dark space, what does that tend to look like and how can we begin to kind of engage in that? Sure. Well, I, I think there's, I mean, there's several different obvious places that that looks like. One is that uh, we as a society are living so connected to our phones and to our computers and to our social media and our social networks and all of that, that we're experiencing so much anxiety compared to where we were as a population of people even 150 years ago. We don't even notice it. Like, my phone buzzes, and I have to check it, and my watch buzzes, and now my things buzz, and th things are listening in my house, and all of this, and we're just keyed up all the time because you never know what's coming next, and so there's just this pervasiveness of anxiety, and 
when you stay anxious for so long, it wears you out from an adrenaline perspective. And then all of a sudden you get depressed and everything is a bigger deal and I don't have enough margin because I'm constantly sucked into doing things. And so what happens is where it starts to show up for most people is we go from kind of feeling okay to feeling stressed out. And that's kind of like, it's just so generic. You know, we used to call them, uh, well, we didn't, but a long time ago, they call them a good old fashioned nervous breakdown. And I think honestly, that's a pretty accurate description sometimes of what happens to us as we're moving from kind of, if you think of it on a continuum, like in one sense, we're, we're healthier. And as we move away from being healthy, whether we're ignoring our spiritual disciplines, our physical disciplines, working out, eating well, doing all the things we know we're supposed to be doing. But when my stuff gets stirred up, I don't want to do those things. I don't want to go for a run. I don't want to eat healthy. I want to go and have a big soft serve ice cream, even though I know that's not good for me. Why do I want to do that? It's because I'm not feeling very good. And I want that artificial dopamine from sugar Sugar. and fat and all those wonderful things rather than getting good dopamine from going on a nice long jog or something healthy. I want to get an immediate gratification from checking that newsfeed to see what's going on rather than actually investing in having a real relationship with someone else that doesn't have the byproduct that comes afterwards because those things all give us the good hit and it feels like, okay, this feels good and I got to do this. Afterwards, it's the letdown, it's the, oh, it's the crash, the sugar crash, the, you know, the shame comes back in and I'm still empty because I'm not addressing the core things that keeps me healthy. I continue to kind of wander. I'm getting stressed out. I'm more stressed out. I'm too busy. I'm overcommitted. I'm doing too many things. And suddenly I'm in a place where I'm really unhealthy. Hmm. And it didn't just get there overnight. Usually it takes time. Now, unless there's, you know, a very traumatic thing that happens. But for most of us, it takes time to get us into that place. And so as we look at those things, as we're in that space, we get to ask ourselves, okay, how busy do I need to be? Right. How engaged do I need to be? If I'm a person that does nothing, maybe I should do a little bit more. If I'm a person that does everything, maybe I need to back it up. I know you guys have talked about that in the context of spiritual disciplines and the rhythms of life and those sorts of things. But those are what we foster to stay in a place of health as we look at kind of the people around us and even looking within the context of our own families, how crazy are we that we continue to add more and more and more and more and more? And it's like, how much is enough? How much is too much? We don't even have time to breathe, let alone calm ourselves back to a place where we're in a healthy rhythm or we're in a healthy space. So I think as we look at these larger issues, we can look at a continuum. It's not either you have depression or you don't have depression. It's I'm feeling more depressed. Has it reached a level where it's clinical? Well, I don't know, but I'm feeling really down all the time. How do I talk to somebody about that? How do I start getting that out? Because if I'm on that continuum between being healthy and being unhealthy, somewhere in the place we tip over and it's like, okay, there's other things we can do to help out. Yeah. But if we have to look at it, we need to look at it in the context of every single person in our church body is dealing with something whether it's a struggle, whether it's a sin, whether it's whatever, and we're all on a continuum at different areas of their life. And what I really, for me, what's helpful is to remember, these things I, I'm feeling pretty healthy about, but there's other things, no, no, I'm not healthy about. Yep. And when I talk to people, they're like, well, this is really what's going on, they're unhealthy. And it's like, if I can tap into that for me and start really understanding, oh yeah, I, I kind of get a sense of how that feels, it develops some, I can slow down. I don't have to fix that right away. I can sit with that person. We can actually talk about it, have a real relationship, and start through the context of relationship, having a change for them 
moving from a place of this is a problem you have to go away and figure out how to fix you, Jesus, in your prayer closet because otherwise you're not a good Christian hmm. versus can we sit in a context where I can struggle openly with something, you can struggle openly with something. We don't judge each other. We're just we're calling each other and inviting each other to health, moving towards health, continuing to stay in that process without the expectation of, okay, now that we've had this conversation, go and sin no more. Yeah. So, so real quick, um, we're, share that thought, and then I, I want to invite uh, some people to, to ask some questions because there's some good stuff on here, but share that yeah, thought just real to, quick. Just to yeah. really uh, continue this thought process, um, it is interesting to me, we, 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 we talked about the word isolation, and you know, shame and isolation, uh, they play in the same sandbox. They do. The more sh- shame I have, the more isolated I become. The more isolated I become, the more I, I feel shame. And so mm-hmm. um, the, the, the unfortunate consequence of the struggles we have as a society, and then specifically, especially if we start tipping in the scales toward that clinical side of, I'm now clinically anxious, clinically depressed. I don't know it, but I feel it. It's, mm-hmm. it's a constant. Then I, then, then I tell myself, I shouldn't feel this way. And there's that I shouldn't because I'm a Christian, because I know Jesus, or because whatever, fill in the blank. So then I isolate myself from the vulnerability of relationship. And actually, uh, Kurt Thompson, who, who uh, you know, has some incredible thoughts on this, he is, he is an interpersonal uh, neurobiologist, a psychiatrist. And, and he would argue as well, as we would, that relationship is where it all happens, right? And then James would have argued that as he wrote the book of James, inspired by the Holy Spirit in James 5, where he said, confess yourselves, your sins, your, your whole self, your mess, all of that to one another and pray for each other so that you might be healed, that healing of these things take place in relationships. So having said all of that, the irony is we are more isolated than ever from real relationship because of the way we do relationship in our society, that, that unrelenting connectiveness that isn't true connectiveness. So we feel more connected than ever from an anxiety standpoint and less connected than ever from a relational standpoint. It's, right. it's, it's ironic. Yep. That produces greater and greater levels of anxiety, depression, et cetera. I mean, the, 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 the graphs go with the social media world. We feel more shame because of that, because we're more connected than ever, but yet feel less connected than ever, but we don't know why. Right. So we isolate more than ever. So then what ends up happening is our, um, our struggles become more and more clinical. And then here's what we do on top of all of that, which is so awesome. We make the idea of getting help, from, especially from a clinical standpoint, a very shameful thing, a weakness thing. So America's always done this, the Western culture. Strength is your ability to do everything by yourself. If, if you need help, the second you need help, you're weak. And if you don't need help, you're strong. And who doesn't, who doesn't want to be strong? So we do that across the board. And then in this space, we say, man, if you need help from like a, like a therapist, oh, goodness, you must be in terrible shape. So it's funny. Uh, Brooke and I, uh, we have a, a great therapist that, that we see. And the little office that we go to, um, we would, uh, when I would go in there, either with one of my kids or with my wife, uh, because I'm a pastor of a church in our um, city that's a little more well-known, they would always, I didn't even, it didn't dawn on me, there's a waiting room for everybody. But I'd get there, the door would buzz, click. And I'd go to the back and there's a nice little quiet room. I'd sit back there and hang out. And I, I, I just didn't even think twice about it until I realized, I think they're putting me back there because they're nervous that if I'm sitting in the waiting room, people will see that, oh my gosh, a pastor is here to see a therapist. And that's going to that, that's gonna cause me to feel uncomfortable. And I'm like, 
no, 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 no. No, I want to be out there so that people can know this is a normal thing. This is the body of Christ with some specialties right. that are serving me with specialties I don't have right. to help me journey in my vulnerability. So all that to say this, isolation is the worst possible thing we yeah. can do. But it is the thing we do first because yeah. we have been shamed by the general culture and by the Christian culture into by thinking ourselves. we're and by ourselves right. into thinking we're weak. Mm-hmm. And the best thing we can do is dare in this community at Mosaic mm-hmm. to step out and say I'm struggling. It's really good, man. Well, um, we are. Uh, this is a conversation that we are uh, inviting you guys to be in. And so, um, as you're thinking about this and as you're hearing Renault and Andy share, feel free to to jump in and ask some questions. Um, uh, uh, L.A. asks, uh, how do you deal with the guilt of poor decisions brought on from that anxiety which results in poor spiritual choices or sin? So how do you deal with the guilt of the poor decisions that are brought on from that anxiety which results in poor choices or sin? So how do you deal with that? Um, Great question, L.A. Thank you so much for asking that. Yeah, I mean... Guilt is a super complicated emotional state, actually. Um, it, it, 99% of the time when you're experiencing guilt, the core piece of that also looks like shame. There's shame involved in it because we have to feel the shame in order to think and feel the guilt. Um, and so for me, I look at it from the perspective of, depending upon what we're dealing with, a lot of our problems are self-induced. I joke with clients all the time. Most people that come in to see me know, how, know what they're doing. They know what they're doing is wrong or right, and is healthy or unhealthy, and they know they need to stop. The kicker is they don't know how to stop because they've tried. Mm-hmm. And they've tried on their own, or they've tried with some friends or whatever, and it's like, I know this isn't working, but I still need to, tr- I, I need to stop. So the larger context is uh, I don't know how you do that for yourself, without having someone there to see it. It's like when they cut your hair at the barbershop, you know, they cut the back and then they do the mirror thing and you're trying to look at it. I don't ever look at the back of my head. Right. I can't see the back of my head. I don't really, I mean, I, I don't really care what it looks like as long as they haven't carved their initials back there or something. <laughs> but, but reality is there's blind spots that we all have that none of us can see. And even the best brain surgeon on the planet doesn't do brain surgery on themselves. So why do we expect that we're going to be able to do brain surgery on ourselves and fix this problem? Oh, that's right. I'm going to ask Jesus to help me. And we should. We should absolutely ask Jesus to help me. But Jesus empowers lots of people to be in community around us to help us work through those things in context. Because shame is a felt experience from one person to another. And then we internalize it and make it our own. The only way we really deal with shame, it's like, we know you said things that get broken in relationships. There's, a, there's an old saying that we learn in grad school. Things that get broken in relationships only heal in the context of relationships. Wow. So we have to be in a relationship that's healthier, that invites us to live more, that invites us to do things, that invites us to trust Jesus in new ways. And having someone with the expertise or at least the caring that can look at you directly and be honest with you without being, without being too direct and blow you right out of the water but can see enough of the back of your head that you don't see and help you see those things for yourself, those are things that need to be there as you move through that process because it's not like we can just give you the pat answer and suddenly you move from being unhealthy to, oh, thank goodness you let me in on that answer and now I won't ever make that choice again. Yeah. And I, I do think too, and you know, everything that you're saying is, is so right on, Andy, in terms of the relational dynamic because even from a biblical perspective, you know, Jesus said we 
we, the collection of followers of Jesus, are now his body. So if you want to hang out with Jesus, the best place to do it is hanging out with his body, right? If I want to hang out with Joel, the best place to do that is to actually sit with Joel. And he resides in his body, and so I'm hanging out with Joel because we are in proximity. Jesus is not invisible insofar as he's absent. He's actually in proximity. He resides in his body on this planet, and that's us. So we have often separated Jesus from his body and said, I can go to Jesus without actually going to his body, which I would argue is a very difficult thing. Now, there's a space where we have relationship with Christ that is individual, but he intends our healing, our journey, our discipleship, everything else to take place in relationship. Now, having said that, as Andy said, I think as we are loved rightly by Jesus through his body, so in other words, by others, in our mess. And the others can bring to our awareness the progression of that mess. Then we can begin to deal with our shame in the actions that we take when we are in spaces of anxiety and depression by looking through the eyes of others at our progress. If we're hoping that there is a full stop, bad, and then fine, we are in trouble. It's always progress. So I may, at a certain point in my life, be behaving very badly in regularity and patterns because of anxiety. Then as my anxiety starts becoming an awareness for me through others, uh, through the right therapeutic or discipleship journeys, and then that, uh, the behaviors that come with that become an awareness. Now I'm aware of them. So now I actually feel more shame at first because I'm like, ah, oh, I did it again. But now I'm also aware of them insofar as every time I can now repent both in my own relationship with Jesus as well as with others. And I can be honest about, yes, I did this, but I'm still, there it is, still struggling in my journey with this. But there's progress. And if the behaviors are over time diminishing in their patterning, then, that's, then shame diminishes because I'm like, look, things are moving forward. Now, if they're increasing, instead of feeling greater shame, it, what does it invite me into? greater relationship with people that can help. So one way or the other, to me, it's a, it's a win in this sense. If the patterns are diminishing, I'm in the process of healing, that diminishes shame. If the patterns are increasing, I need more help from more people, and that creates greater relationship, which diminishes shame. So I think the true answer is less isolation, more community with the right kind of community where they are both able to speak in with... Um, uh, with daring, for lack of a better word, they're going to be mm-hmm. honest with you, yeah. but also with love, yeah. they're going to lead you. Yeah, describe for me what it means to be that community. So, you know, we're in a conversation today about mental health, and um, we're, you know, everyone is on some level of this spectrum of healthy. I, you know, I've been in healthier places in my life, and I've also been in less healthy places in my life. I can identify that. We can all probably identify where, where we're at and where we struggle and all of those things. How do we become the type of people uh, without a master's degree in counseling uh, who can be the body of Christ, who can be those people uh, who can increase community um, and thereby defeat shame in the lives of our, our spouse, our friends, our neighbors, our, our missional community, our ministry teams, our co-laborers, our co-followers of Jesus. What does that look like? Well, there is the $10,000 question, Joel. I mean, that is, we as the church have struggled with that. Can I cash that? Because I've been waiting for yeah. 
$10,000, I could yeah. use that. But, but we've been struggling with that since the church was started. Yeah. Hopefully we're getting our arms around it in a different way. Um, for me, it comes back to the gospel. Like, when we, the gospel, in my mind, didn't change from the time before I was saved until after I was saved. Now I have a new gospel. The gospel is the same on either side of salvation for us. And so when I get lost and I try to figure out, okay, what, what's wrong with this? As a community, how do I, where did, where did God meet me? Where did God find me? He found me where I was. In the mud and mire. Yep, in the midst of my junk, in the midst yeah. of my sin, in the midst of my brokenness, in the midst of my pride. Yeah. He found me there. Yeah. Not with, I clean myself up and I'm ready now. I'm ready, God. Okay, I'm ready. You can save me now. Yeah. No, no, I was dead. I was dead. Yeah. And the further I get from having that experience when I was 16, the more I go, oh, I didn't know how dead I was. Mm. I had no idea. And so how does that translate for us as a community when we're trying to help, we're trying to be a community for others? I think there's a real sense in can we start with people where they are and invite them as God draws us into a relationship with him. And he's much better at it than we are, clearly. But draws us into being conformed into his likeness. Not because he needs us to do that. Not because I need you to get better as the person I'm talking to. So I feel better about helping you. Because that's kind of, ooh. Um, God does it because he wants, when he did that for me, he wants my freedom. Right. He wants me to live in a way that I experience his love and mercy and grace more and more and more. And if we want that for someone else, our tendency is to jump in there and try and help. And what we need to do is jump in there and just remember that God accepts us where we are and starting there. When we start to accept that person at that place, we have greater compassion for them. We have greater empathy for them. Our voice becomes, we can actually have a real relationship with these, with people that are struggling within the community, outside the community, and then we invite them, not because I'm doing it well, but because I'm still needing Jesus more and more every day, because I still need community more and more every day, that that, that is what spurs me on to continue the process of growth and becoming conformed into the image of Christ, being more like that, moving from unhealth to health. Yeah. You know, I, I think um, it's, it's so interesting to me, because th- this is such a complicated space, but I do think that there is some simplicity to it. And I'm going to simplify now to a point that probably in some ways has, has flaws, but in this space you're, you're always somewhat jumping back and forth. Right. I, I think in general, from a, from a whole church perspective, there are three general categories of this journey of mental health, if you will. Uh, so the things that we struggle with internally, the behaviors that come out of those. There is what you described earlier, all of us on the spectrum, because... Uh, we have relationships with friends, spouses, children, parents. Those are constantly confronting us and engaging with us. There's struggles. People are hurting us. We're hurting people. The normal, what I would call normal life. <laughs> Welcome to normal life. The devices, the connectiveness, the disconnectiveness, all that. The little traumas, the constant little traumas. We, we all live in that space. Yeah. No one is immune to that space. Yeah. And if a community was able to acknowledge that, to give the freedom for all of us to be able to bring that to the table in regularity, to speak openly in the lobbies and the, 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 life, the life groups and the, the missional communities and so on and so forth, then I think those things would not as often tip 
into the clinical spaces because we're dealing with them as they go. The reason they tip into clinical spaces off, off, often is because they're left alone, they're hidden. Right. They grow and grow and grow in secrecy and in, in isolation. And then by the time we have to deal with them because now the behaviors are extreme, you're going to clinical spaces because they just weren't dealt with. So it, at, at a starting point, without needing a master's degree in anything, if we just learned to be more open, vulnerable, and honest with each other, and there was freedom in that, James 5, and what Kurt Thompson would say, is the key to healing is vulnerability in relationship. Mm -hmm. I think that would make a dramatic difference. So first to answer your question, the community has to normalize the mess <laughs> in some ways. Yeah. Not celebrate it, not make it okay, just normalize it. Just say, welcome to the table, let's, let's be honest with each other. And then let's, and then here's the key, let's preach the gospel to each other in that mess. So yeah. I'm not trying to fix you. I'm not trying to make what you do justified or okay. Right. I'm not trying to judge you. I'm simply right. saying, I hear you, yeah. you hear me. Let's bring it back to the gospel. What do we know of Christ that is so good? How can we engage with that freedom that is so good? Who is he? Who am I? And who am I in him? If we become a community that is regularly preaching the gospel to ourselves and to each other, I think that the masses that tip clinically because they're just undealt with will see a lot less tip clinically. So then there's going to be a category that tips clinically. In other words, there's either early childhood trauma or trauma in my life or events or just lots things of things going on in their body. That eventually yeah. it just tips and I'm like, it's bigger than what is just the standard living life. Right. And if we again normalize that and say, sometimes we get there. Mm -hmm. We may all get there at a certain point in life. Some of us may not. But when you get there, now it's not just the community in its generality that can specialize in preaching the gospel to you. It's helpful to have some mentors, therapists, uh, uh, um, uh, leaders, pastors, elders, whatever, in those categories of hero people that are trained and are experts in navigating the particular part of life, the river, if you will, through mm -hmm. rapids that may have tipped beyond what is just the normal life that we live. And that's where things like discipleship counseling come in. Discipleship that's counseling, where things like seeing therapy, someone like seeing Andy. Like Andy and, and normalizing that, saying it's okay, not only okay, like, there's going to be times in your life you lost a loved one. A grief counselor is a fantastic person to have on the back of your boat navigating those rough waters. And we're about to start grief share here. Yes, exactly. So there's yeah. that category, yeah. right? And, and, and along with that, groups of other people. Absolutely. Right. Support groups. Support oh groups gosh, that yes. are other people that are in that specific, whether they're grieving or addictions or divorce recovery or whatever. Yes. Those spaces of people who are walking through a similar or have walked through a similar path they gain a level of expertise because they've walked through it. They are walking yes. through it. They continue to walk through it. So you narrow your community Absolutely. to specialize it, right? right? So generally, here's the general community. Preach the gospel <clears throat> to each other and be vulnerable. Yeah. Secondarily, I've tipped into a circumstance or into a reality internally that I'm struggling with because it's tipped. Specialize that community. Get yep. a therapist, discipleship, counseling, small, uh, uh, support, groups. support groups. Then there is a category that I would deem there's something that's not working properly in my body. So there are people that struggle with depression because actually their glands are not producing the right things. So it doesn't matter how much support group I do, how much cognitive therapy I do, mm. I need to deal with things that are not working properly. Biophysio. Bio, yeah. And, and that is a big part of mental health as well. That may be um, neurobiological. It may be just biological. So for example, silly thing, but you, you mentioned it before, a lot of stress 
creates an overdeveloped sense of adrenaline through your um, adrenaline glands. You reach adrenaline fatigue. They yep. stop producing adrenaline and dopamine and serotonin. You start feeling tired and depressed, but for no circumstantial reason that you can figure out. Then shame kicks in, which now becomes a circumstance that perpetuates that stress. And now suddenly you're really, really down all the time. That affects mm -hmm. the relationships of the people around you. They start isolating and rejecting you, which causes you to feel even worse and you feel more down. Yeah. Okay, so there's a circumstance. That is legitimately something that if you can stimulate through um, uh, uh, food therapy or even medication for periods of time, things like that, those reworking of the body they help you feel proper, the shame diminishes. So there's that third category. I need greater help because there's something actually not working. And to assess whether that's what it is or whether it's just those scales that tipped from the normal ups and downs to, mm -hmm. you're gonna need help with someone that assesses you. Mm -hmm. We need to, in the church, normalize that. So I think that's my point is, we need to normalize life is hard and good and it tips back and forth, preach the gospel to each other. Sometimes you need more help than just the community. That's okay. Sometimes you need help from people that are medically engaged. Right. That's okay. Sometimes you need to take medication for a period of time to stabilize. That's okay. This whole thing needs to be a, a okay. Mm -hmm. And then I think we'll move forward. So we got a couple really good questions that are coming in. So Kim, uh, she, Kim Morcom, she's asking, how do believers um, best minister to believe, other believers who struggle with mental issues resulting in poor decisions over and over. So a cycle of poor decisions, now there's mental issues. And, and you know, it's, it's hard to say which, you know, do, sure. you, do you put the, the cart before the horse, you know, with that. But, like, the, the root of the question is we don't want to affirm those poor decisions. How do we reach out? How do we connect with them? And then there's kind of a follow-up question to that is, um, you know, what, what does uh, boundaries look like along with that? And so I'd love for you guys to share a little bit about that. And it's crazy because there's already quite a few minutes have gone by and we do still need to talk about addiction, addiction. for a little bit. So and let's... I want Andy to answer that question. I just do want to clarify one thing with sure the question. Thing. So a question like that's as broad as it is, and I totally get it. Yeah. The difficulty there is if we're dealing in addictions, so now there's mental health that have led to addictions and there's patterns coming out of that, boundaries come into play, all that. That's a category. If it's a genuine clinical mental health, so in other words, we're in that category, third category I described. Yeah. Now, that's a particular category of how you deal with that. If it's someone that's just behaving in patterns that are sinful, and it's mental health insofar as they're anxious, but it's not tipped into those skills, that's a category. The trouble with the question like that is there's lots of categories here. But let's assume for this question, someone has a genuine diagnosed, if you will, clinical mental health issue or addiction, and there's patterns in their life. How do we care for them? What boundaries do we set? Yeah, and, and again, even, even narrowing it just down to that, it's so broad. It's that still broad. It's, it's so broad. Yeah. So, but but the, the genuine principle that we're trying to adopt is we want the person to be in a space where they're getting the medical attention that they need. And so if that is they're going to need to take an antidepressant for a season of time just to help them. Because once you get to the point where things are so tipped over, not just from the standpoint of I feel out of whack, but I can't get my ship righted at all, even if I did it with all of my energy, we need help to get there. It's kind of like if you're, if you're a type 2 diabetic and you're insulin dependent, 
I don't care, when you first get diagnosed, there's no way you cannot do it without insulin. Now, right. I'm sure people would say, oh yeah, I did that and whatever. But for most people, it's really, really, really difficult. And if you're already dealing with a mental issue on top of that, which by the way affects your motivation, affects your follow through, affects your concentration, affects your ability to focus your energy, yeah, there's, there's not really a lot that you can do there. So we want people to get the medical attention that they need from good professionals, whether that's, and it doesn't just have to be psychiatry and you know typical pharmaceuticals. There's lots of herbal things. There's lots of non-traditional ways that are really helpful for different people, but it may be a team of people that they consult with to get the right mix of this and yoga and whatever else and some medication for a season along with the counseling. Because what they've actually found doing clinical studies is that medication is somewhat effective in relieving some of the symptoms of anxiety and depression but medication with other forms of therapy is what actually gets people to move through that process. If we can do that in the context of a larger community that cares about them, wow, now we've that's got like all a, these that's things. That's a triple threat. That, yeah, that, now yeah. we've got all the things in place to get the possibility of them to move forward. When we talk about it in the context of addictions and we have recurring behaviors, they're typically very destructive for relationships. Right. For the person on the outside that's trying to care for them, whether they're a partner, a spouse, a child, uh, a, a parent of someone who's struggling with an addiction, boundaries become paramount. Yeah. They just become an essential way of figuring out, given the set of circumstances and behaviors that this person is doing and continue to do, how do I, what does it mean to love that person well? Because if they're an alcoholic, driving them to the liquor store and waiting outside while they go in inside buy liquor, it's not loving them well. That's actually you're not you're doing disservice to them. Right. And that that's a over the top obvious example. But trying to wrestle with what does that look like in every specific case is a little bit different. Yeah. We want to have good boundaries. We don't want to be so rigid that oh it's always going to be like this, and we don't want to be so flexible that anything goes. There's got to be some form of rhythm in that, and it changes even if we have a good set of boundaries to start with based on if they're moving through recovery, those boundaries will change. And so I would say even in that then, oddly enough, the answer becomes similar to the previous answer, which is this. If you're the person who is in relationship with someone with mental health that are in recurring behaviors that are destructive or an addiction or whatever, then you need community around you right. more yeah. that specializes in helping you discern where what is because your emotions, now you're in trauma. That's one of the things we learned in our home. Trauma came into our home insofar as some of my children come from hard places. So they brought with them that trauma. That trauma then affected trauma on my biological children, which we call secondary trauma. Mm -hmm. But that secondary trauma then became trauma that affected trauma on my initial trauma children, then all eight of them affected trauma on Brooke and I. We had secondary trauma that we affected on them. This is the cycle. Mm. So who needs help? Holy smokes, everybody, right? right. And so uh, when you are a person who is called to love a person who is in the process of struggling with mental illness or with addiction, and they are behaviors that are recurring, then you need a support group and you need some dis uh, discipleship, counseling, therapy, et cetera, to help you discern how to love them well, where boundaries should be. Do you need boundaries? Yes. Which ones? Good question. Right. You need community. Do you need to love them in particular ways? What's love, what's not? Good question. You need community Absolutely. and some specialists in that. Absolutely. And then finally, you need to continue to try and help them engage in the community and the help they need. 
even when they don't want to. And when, I mean, you can't make anyone do anything, but that is always trying to help them get into the help. And then there is a space in which there is our grace toward one another, which is this. If someone I love struggles with mental uh, illness or addiction, they are in all the helpful spaces, but it is reoccurring in terms of there's a, a journey, and I have my right support networks, then I show great patience and grace because this planet is a beast. And I, that's what loving sacrificially looks like. But loving sacrificially doesn't mean you have no support. You just become the doormat on which they keep behaving badly right. and you have no boundaries. That's not, that's not sacrificial love. That's just naivety. Nor, nor is it also the other way, which is because the behavior is recurrent, I'm going to close myself off and I'm going to wall up and just because, like, just to echo that, that, that I'm not going to do anything, and I'm just, because your behavior is so atrocious, I'm not going there. I get that part as well. The space, though, is if you are a spouse or a loved one of someone struggling in that area, get the support that you need. It is, it's so important because first rule of lifeguarding, don't get in the pool with someone who's drowning. You're already in the pool. Find something on the side. Find a hook. Find a buoy find a cooler floated out to them because if you get in there with them and you don't have support and you're not grounded in a space where you're in community you're going to drown yeah and then that, there's two dead people then there's two dead one. people instead of one that's yeah. exactly right yeah. so that's the first thing they teach you in lifeguard training don't get in the pool if you can't help it find something else get them the assistance they need without getting in there you need to be in that community because it's so important for you to have that community of support that helps put things in perspective for your particulars. Yep, no doubt. Yeah, I think I think some of the keys that I'm I'm hearing through this is um, that's so valuable is looking at uh, mental health and how it fleshes itself out within relationship is really key. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking at mental health and recognizing that it is um, it's it's not necessarily only a decision making problem. It's not necessarily only a uh, relationship problem. It, it can also be a physical problem. And addressing uh, you know, mental health issues in all three of those categories holistically is going to be really, really important. And I think for followers of Jesus who want to see people walking in freedom, um, I think the more that we can find ways to apply the gospel um, to each one of those situations, mm-hmm. uh, the better. And so... You know, what does it look like, um, you know, to have uh, some honest conversations around this subject? Um, I mean, if, if, uh, if we're a person who's struggling with mental health, uh, where should we go? Um, if we're a person who a, a loved one is, is um, struggling with mental health and we try the whole gospel thing and, and it, we know it's beyond us, where do we go next at Mosaic? I mean, I really want to bring this, like, specific to our church um, you know, re- it, should I schedule a meeting with Renault? Is that my first step? Um, you know, should I should I necessarily you know s- set up a meeting with Andy? Walk us through the progression of like, hey, if someone you know walks up to a, a leader at Mosaic Church, um, a follower of Jesus at Mosaic Church, and says, "I'm struggling. I need help. Where should they go?" Or, "My loved one is struggling. We need help. I need a community around me." He or she needs a community around them. Mm-hmm. Where do we go? Um, yeah. How does yeah. that look here I, at Mosaic? I, I think the, the, the key is that there are multiple pathways 
into asking for help here. There isn't a, well, there's the red door, that's the only one. If you knock on any of the doors, it's over. At the end of a gathering, we have um, leaders here on the side that you can come pray with. If you walked up to one of those leaders and said, uh, I am or a family member, a loved one is struggling with an addiction or with mental health issues and we are in a bad place, my marriage is struggling, they will then take you and begin to connect you to the right spaces here to begin a journey. Um, so, so that's a, uh, an opportunity. If you go to any or reach out to any of the pastors on our staff, on the website with emails, they will begin to direct you immediately to the right spaces. If you went to a blue shirt, they would connect you to a pastor who would connect you to the right spaces. So what I'm saying is there's multiple starting points, but it's all going to go to a particular place within our structure here, and that is that it's, it's ultimately going to go into our space of discipleship counseling which is going to, Deb Moline is the one that kind of heads that up, and she navigates the spaces of the right direction for you based on what your, your specific challenge is. So if your specific challenges can be met by a mentor or a mentoring couple, then she will initiate that journey. If we are in a space where we've tipped those scales where either it started or is, has become um, a space that is more complex in its nature, she might connect you with Andy and his team. She might connect you with some people on our team in the pastoral realm. Yeah. If it's something that then Andy or others feel like we need some greater uh, work in discerning what's going on, we have people that we are networked with that we will connect you with. So the journey begins by asking someone in leadership at Mosaic, which again, after every gathering, blue shirts can connect you to pastoral staff, or just emailing uh, Deb, uh, I think at debm at thisismosaic.org. Mm -hmm. and, and just emailing her and saying, Deb, because that's a, con that's a confidential email. Deb, here's, this is who I am. Here's my struggle. Uh, I would love to get help. And yeah. she'll reach back out and then start the process. Yeah, we'll and, post that on the, the uh, Facebook I mean, page. And, and, and keep reaching out. Yeah. Because sometimes you'll talk to someone and they'll pray for you and they may have a context where they think they've been helpful and they have been, but you need more. So keep asking. We're all humans. Right. I, I would love to tell you that every phone call gets returned very promptly. That's, that's not always the case. Every email doesn't always get like, we had issues with our website for a while. And it's like, so if it's really important and it's insignificant for you, don't reach out once. If you don't get the answer, the help you need, keep reaching out. Keep like being an informed consumer, if you will, of your own health care, your mental health care is I need to kind of take the next step and be on me to continue to initiate contact with yep. people until I yep. get the help that I need. Yep. And here's the other thing. Understand, too, wherever you step into asking for help, this issue of mental health and then addictions, which I, I suspect we'll deal with another time, but, um, <laughs> but these issues are extremely complex, yeah, right? right? There's nothing simple about them. So here's the deal. I think sometimes we're so desperate for reaching out to someone. They come in with a silver bullet they fix everything. It's a quick fix and it's done. Mm, Remember it's America for you right in there. In every space you step into, the people stepping in to try to help you are going to be taking on the complexities with you. And it might be a very complex journey. So I think sometimes in the space of Mosaic, I know that people will step in. They have some, some uh, struggles with mental health, either a loved one or addiction. We step in. It gets complex. It takes longer than one might think. They come back and forth in and out. 
they're disruptive in terms of the environments here. We have to make hard choices. Then it's hurtful. Then it's like, oh, you said you'd help. We're like, no, we are helping, but not in the way you might have wanted us to right. help. And so I'm just saying, one of the things we have to acknowledge about this whole entire place is it's unredeemed, it's messy, it's complicated, and there's nothing simple about how the progress takes, and it's long haul. Yeah. So we have to all have a tremendous amount of grace toward each other. Mm-hmm. But I think we do need to be a community that's willing to take on rather than bury or eliminate yeah. uh, the realities of our journeys. Yeah, we left messy in the rearview mirror a long time ago. We did. Yeah. <laughs> it's just messy. And, that, yeah. and it just it takes longer than we think because you didn't get into it overnight and you're not getting out of it overnight. It's a process, just like God. If God revealed to us all of the stuff that we were sinful about, well, I don't know that I could handle that. Like he, all at once. All yeah. at once, yeah. yeah. He graciously allows us to grow over seasons of time. Right. And, and I think, um, you know, uh, and I, I know basically we're out of time, but um, I, I would just say this. Uh, at the end of the day, with all of this, mental health and addiction, and, and again, we'll talk more about addiction another time, but um, isolation and shame. I mean, I, I, can't, I can't say enough. Those are the enemies. Right. They are the great tools of our great enemy yeah. mm-hmm. to keep this issue remaining an issue and being destructive. So you are going to be tempted to isolate, to hide, and you're going to do that because of shame. And I am sorry, legitimately, that both the general community of believers as well as sometimes even our specific space have purposefully or accidentally communicated, you should be better because you know Jesus. That is an unfortunate consequence of what is sometimes accidentally communicated. Here's the reality. Because you know Jesus, you should have the freedom to be open and vulnerable. And so I would just say, don't isolate. Mm. Don't let shame uh, dictate uh, your actions. Dare to believe that this community will be a safe place for you to begin to reveal those hurts and pains and that we can begin to work together. And let us all become a community that in that general space, we're preaching the gospel to each other and being vulnerable. In the more specific spaces, we don't feel shame about asking for help like America told us it was shameful because it's not, that's a lie. And acknowledging that sometimes, even often, the fix is out of the boxes we typically call in the Christian church the typical spiritual boxes. Sometimes medication is helpful temporarily. Sometimes other therapies are helpful because there are bigger things going on than just make a better choice. Think differently. It's not, it's not that simple. Yeah. Andy, thanks for being with us today. I yeah, think thank that's, you. A, that's a great place for us to close down this conversation. Guys, thanks for joining us today. Uh, We are going to push uh, the addictions conversation to a later date. We'll kind of figure that out together. Um, And it's a good one because there's a lot there. There's a lot there. We need to have it. Yeah, and so we will be doing that. Uh, But thank you for joining us on Lunch Hour with Renault. Uh, That's all we have for you this week, and we will see you next week. Great to see you guys. Thanks for having me.